0: the value of a name cannot be underestimated. Could you imagine going somewhere, and you saying to your friend, uh, we all have senior moments, I suppose, and we forget where we're going. And we say to our friend, well, let's meet at a pizza place. And they say, well, where at? Well, you know, in that other town over there. Well, yeah, but in that other town, where is that? Oh, yeah, but you know, and goes on and on. conversation goes back and forth, and you can't remember the name of the town, you can't remember the pizza place, and on and on. Well, you know, that's just, we have to remember names, and names are important because of that reason. But can you imagine also trying to describe something? Well, I saw an animal this morning. Well, it, it was furry, and it had four legs, and well, but I just can't remember what it's called. Well, you know, that tells us how much and how valuable names are. And we need to recognize the value of names. And so we're gonna be looking at the church and really a continuation of the study that we had last Sunday evening, but we're gonna look at it from this perspective. We're gonna look at it from the perspective of what we are called individually, and then also what we are called collectively. They go hand in hand, and sometimes the fact that they go hand in hand together are oftentimes overlooked, and we want to really spend the time in connecting those different ideas. Now, I chose several ideas, and we're not going to be able to cover them all in any depth, but we should be able to cover them and help us to understand what they, what they have. The correlation is needed. You know, just think about it for a second. Is it needed that we understand the correlation between a soldier and an army? Well, a soldier is a part of an army, but they are not the army. We need more than one soldier to make up an army. The same way we have the staff that works in a restaurant or in a business or wherever it might be. And then we have single employees that are a part of that staff. We recognize the difference between the employee and the staff that's a part of that. So we're gonna be looking at different things similar to that. So as far as the first one is concerned, we're gonna look at the term Christian. Now we've already spent time with that last week, so we're not going to really spend much time with it. And then we're gonna look at the term Church of Christ. In both terms the basic meaning is someone that belongs to Christ or someone that is associated with Christ and it can be both ways can be this idea of identifying that person that's associated or a follower of Christ and or that person that is or that group that is named by Christ and thus belonging to Christ now Last week we looked at some prophecies concerning this, that this would be an everlasting name, a new name, and another name. And that was from the book of Isaiah. But we noted several different characteristics about Christians in the process of all of that. But we know that the Christians were first called, or that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch in Acts 11 in verse number 26. And as far as the church is concerned, I chose Romans 16 and verse 16 to illustrate that point. That he said at the end of the verse there, the churches of Christ salute you. Now I know it talks about saluting one another with a holy kiss. We don't normally in our culture salute one another with a kiss or of any type. Uh, Although I've known different ones and been different places where they do that and it is always interesting. It kind of takes you by surprise at the beginning, but there are cultures that clearly do that. And um, it would be probably the way we would think about it is shake one another's hand with a holy handshake. Don't let it be de. de- uh, um, don't let it be deceptive like Judas' greeting of Jesus, but rather do it with holiness, or. Maybe, in some cases, don't let it be a sexual thing, but you do it in holiness. So, salute one another with the holy kiss. But the point we want to emphasize is the churches of Christ salute you. Now, we know the term church can be used in at least three different ways within Scripture. It can be used with reference to what we generally refer to as the universal church. When Jesus said, I will build my church, Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 and following, he was talking about the church world over, and he used the term church, singular. However, in this particular case, notice that it uses the plural there, but he's talking about congregations of the church. So it uses it with reference to, in a different way, not to the universal church, but to the local congregations that were around Rome, and that Rome would have been, been under uh, that Rome would have understood that was existing at that particular time. Then the third way that the word church is used is with reference to the assembly, and uh, that's another lesson altogether. But we know that Christians are named Christians, and it was a name given to us and was prophesied. It was given to us by the God of heaven and then also the Church of Christ. And it identifies who we are because we belong to Christ. Another term or terms that we should use is the word member. And sometimes people will ask us, what church are you a member of? And we'll say, well, we're members of the Church of Christ. Now, sad to say, I've heard, in fact, I was listening to a tape not long ago, and just fact within the last couple of weeks, and this preacher said, he was talking about uh, Church of Christ. He said, we're all Church of Christ. Well, collectively, we're the Church of Christ, but we're not Church of Christ individually. We are members of the Church of Christ, and we are Christians, and we belong to the Church of Christ, but we're not the Church of Christ. We need to be careful that we're not using it in a sectarian or denominational way. But the passage I chose is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 12, and actually the context of this goes on beyond that, but in verses 12 through 14, that we have on the screen there. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Now he's talking about like a body that we possess. And the body that we possess is one body. And of course we know that the body is the church from Ephesians 1 verses 22 and 23. So the body is the church and there is one body. And it would be kind of ridiculous looking if there were more than one body, there's only one body. And we're then members of that body. Now, he went on to say, concerning the foot and the hand and concerning the eye and the ear and concerning the smelling and concerning the head comparison to the feet, well, the church at Corinth was a divided church. They weren't being what they ought to have been. And in fact, in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, he said, I cannot write to you as spiritual. I have to write to you as carnal because of this division that existed within the church. They were carnal minded. And that's the point that Paul made. Well, in this particular chapter, he had talked about earlier in the chapter, the spiritual gifts. And because of the spiritual gifts and the handing down of those spiritual gifts, some thought more highly of themselves than they should have thought. And so they some were bragging, we have the gift of tongues and. Here we are being able to speak languages that we've never studied and they bragged about themselves. But the point that Paul made in this particular passage is one gift is not more important than the other. One member is not more important than the other. The gift of prophecy was just as important as the gift of tongues. And the gifts, other gifts were given that are just as important. Well, let's apply it to us today. When we think about the members, we are members of that body. Whether we are a finger or a toe or whether we are a knee or an elbow, it doesn't make any difference. Whether we're the eyes or the ears, it doesn't make any difference. We're all a part of that body. And we have a function within that body. And we need to function within it. Now, nobody wants to lose any part of their body. And we know that it does happen sometimes, but who wants to lose that? And even a little toe. And of course, when I was growing up, there were those different individuals that shot off their little toe in order to keep from going into the military. And you all remember that, or my age or more, and uh, how that had taken place. Well, I don't want to lose a little toe. I don't want to lose any part of my body but it is necessary sometime but in order for the body to function don't we need our fingers and our hands and our toes and our feet and our legs and our arms and our bodies and our hearts and our heads and all the other parts of the body we need them all and so as the church we have there there is one body and as far as the church is concerned there are many members and we're all part of that We need to recognize the difference between what we're called individually and what we are called collectively. The next one I chose is the word children or in the collective sense, household of God. Now, when we talk about the household, we're considering the family. We mentioned this last Sunday, don't think about the household in the sense of anything but the family. And in fact, the verse that I'm going to use here in just a moment, it talks about the house of God. Well, he's talking about the family of God in that particular verse, and it can be translated the household, or it can be translated the family of God. But I want to spend a little bit of time in thinking about the term children. Brethren, we're all children of God. And if we're a member of the Lord's church, we are a child of God. And that's, that's why we refer to one another as brother or as sister or brothers and sisters. And it is interesting to me to think about different places where I've been that nobody's called brother but the preacher. Well, that's not really right. I mean, we're all brethren. We're all brothers and sisters. And I've known different ones that will call a brother a brother but then won't call a sister a sister and different sisters that will call their sister in Christ a sister, but then they don't refer to somebody as a brother. Well, let's be a little bit more consistent with that. If we're gonna call one another brother, let's call everyone that's a member of the church a brother and or a sister, whichever the case may be. Now, the verse I chose is Galatians 3 verses 26 and 27. Now, I have to admit, I had something else in mind when I chose these particular verses because I wanted a connection between these verses with how do we become a Christian? And you know, when you look at a member, how do you become a member? We saw it there in 1 Corinthians 12. We're baptized into one body. That's how we become. How do we become a member of the Lord's church? How do we become a Christian? We're baptized into it. Now, that doesn't mean that we we can just simply, as Ross pointed out and adequately pointed out on Wednesday evening, that we can somehow forego those prerequisites to baptism. We have to believe. We have to repent. We have to confess Christ. And then, if we've done those things, then we can be baptized into Christ. That's how we are born again. That's how we become a child of God. So, Galatians 3 and verse 26, for ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I was in correspondence with a lady about a year ago because of our connections in the past, and she said, that's how I want to become a Christian, and she stopped there. Well, you know, it goes on to say, verse number 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so in order to become a Christian, notice he gave two ways that we must fulfill within our lives. We must have faith, that's belief, and we must be baptized. Now that's not to take away from the confession of Christ and it's not to take away from repentance. Both are also necessary as well. But that's how we become a child of God. But we're also of the household children make up a household. We have a father, and because of that fatherhood of God, and because we are children of God, that makes up the household, the family. In 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, he says, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Well, I didn't have time to add that last little statement there, so I just put the three dots, but it's the pillar and ground of the truth is the continuation of verse number 15. The next one that I chose to look at is reference to citizens in comparison to a kingdom. Now we know that kingdoms are made up of citizens. In fact, there are four fundamentals that are necessary in order for a kingdom to exist. And I think most of us can figure all these things out pretty easily. In order for a kingdom to exist, there has to be a king. Well, who's the king in the kingdom? Well, the king of kings is Jesus Christ our Lord. He is king over us. Now in the Old Testament, it was God the Father, was ruler over the nation of Israel or should have been. It was supposed to be a a kingdom that was based upon a theocracy in other words over because god reigned over them but they chose not for god to reign over them they wanted to be like the nations and so they said give us a king (coughs) so god provided saul and it wasn't long for saul to depart then he provided david and saul of course tried to kill david as a result of it and we've been studying that on sunday morning in our adult bible class And then also he provided Solomon. Well then the kingdom divided and Rehoboam and Jeroboam divided the kingdom. And it was divided the rest of the time in the history of the old Israel. But it was still a kingdom. And so a kingdom, a ruler or a king is necessary. And in the kingdom of Christ, Christ is the ruler. But then you also have to have citizens. I mean if a it's kind of like a thing I was reading this week, and this guy, he decided that one day he was gonna appoint himself to be emperor. And he lived out in California, probably a lot more could be said about him, but nonetheless, that's what he decided one day, that he would just simply appoint himself as emperor. And he went around telling people that he was an emperor, even dressed like an emperor. But you know, just because you call yourself that, doesn't make you one. But if you're going to be an emperor or a king or a ruler, don't you have to have citizens underneath that? I mean, if you're not ruling over anybody, then how can you be a ruler? If you're not a king and ruling over somebody, how can you have a reign? How can you be a ruler? And so citizens are also necessary. But then we also find that A law is necessary in order to have a kingdom well as far as the church is concerned as far as the kingdom of Christ what is the law well it's the scriptures that's what the law is that God's provided for us it's the New Testament but then there has to be territory but the territory of Christ's kingdom is different than the world's kingdom you see as far as the world is concerned it's a physical kingdom and so they reign over areas of the earth. In other words, landmass or territories that are landmass. Not true with God's kingdom. God's kingdom or Christ's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, and the territory is the hearts of men. And so we are citizens then in the kingdom of Christ. In Ephesians 2 and verse 19, I wrestled with this to use this with reference to the household or to use it with reference to the citizenship But I chose to use it with reference to a citizenship But but let's remember the context of Ephesians 2 Because he's in this particular context Paul wrote concerning Jews and Gentiles that were all one in Christ So when he said now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners He was talking about the Gentiles at that particular time. And we are not foreigners and we're not strangers as far as the kingdom is concerned. But we are fellow citizens, not just simply citizens, but fellow citizens. We are citizens with the Israelites that became members of the Lord's church, with the saints and of the household of God but we know we're a part of the kingdom. Now, many in the religious world believe the kingdom is yet in the future, but notice the tenses here in this particular passage. In Colossians one in verse 13, he says, who hath delivered us, that's past tense, talking about Christians, Christians have been delivered from the power of darkness. Now that's Satan's world. That's the world in which we live. We have been delivered, saved from, um, escaped from the powers of darkness and translated past tense, translated when we became members of the Lord's church, when we were immersed into Christ and raised up to walk in newness of life, we were translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, who is his dear son? Christ Christ. And so it's the kingdom of Christ. And we have been translated into that kingdom. Don't you find this interesting with reference to Nicodemus? You remember Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. This is found over in John the third chapter, beginning with verse one. And actually this particular part of it goes down through verse seven. But Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and asked him or said unto him, Teacher, we know that thou art a teacher come, or Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus clearly didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. He says, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? That's really a pretty foolish statement. But nonetheless, that's what Nicodemus said. He just simply didn't understand. And Jesus then explained it. He said, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, that's a reference to baptism, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. There you go. That's how we get into the kingdom by being born of water and spirit, not born of flesh. So we are citizens then of the kingdom of Christ. But we're also priests in the temple of God. Now, priests basically served as two functions in the Old Testament. One function of priest were to offer up sacrifices. And so they had sacrifices constantly. They had sacrifices daily. And in, in fact, they had sacrifices in the morning. They had sacrifices in the evening. They had weekly sacrifices they had monthly sacrifices they had annual sacrifices and so they were constantly offering up these sacrifices that's one function of those priests of the old testament a second function of priests of the old testament was to instruct or to teach they were to be teachers of the law in fact the passage that we often refer to in the hosea chapter 4 verse 6 is a passage that really is giving blame or reason for their departure of not knowing the truth upon the priest they weren't being teachers like they should have been and so priests then function in those two ways now the, we're going to be looking at two passages one at the present time and we're going to look at another passage here in a little bit concerning this but we are priests of God. In First Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, Peter wrote, Ye also as living stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God by Jesus Christ. So the priest then served as one function was to offer up sacrifices. If we are priests of God, notice what he says that we're to offer up. Spiritual sacrifices unto God. We don't offer up the blood of bulls and goats or grain offerings or anything like that, but we offer up spiritual sacrifices. Now, what are the spiritual sacrifices that we offer up? It's those avenues of worship, those different things that we do in worship, those five avenues you remember, they're all various types of sacrifices that we offer up unto God. But then we also know that we are the temple of God. Now notice the plurality here. In modern English, we have the word you, it's second person. It can be second person singular or second person plural. In old English, the word ye is plural. And so he said in, so Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16, know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now in this particular chapter, he's talking about the church. Now later on, he would come back to this this illustration of the temple and talk about our bodies, that we ourselves, our physical bodies are a temple and we ought not to destroy this temple of God because we worship God within this body and it's referred to that. But in this particular passage in 1 Corinthians 3, he's talking about the church. The church is the temple of God. Now, are we the temple of God in the sense of a physical building? Well, of course not. You know, the term temple can refer to different things within Scripture. Sometimes it referred to the old temple that was built originally by Solomon, rebuilt then later on by... um, uh, Uh, Nehemiah Esther and others and then later on uh, or Zerubbabel and sometimes called Zerubbabel's temple and then later on by Herod and that was actually being under construction during the time of Christ well you know we're not talking about that temple we're not talking about the temple in a physical sense but then the word temple in the Old Testament like we sang just a little bit ago the Lord is in his holy temple Well, we're not talking about this building. And I know that the denominational world will use that particular song in reference to this church building. But that's not the truth. In Habakkuk, uh, yeah, Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 20 is where that song is from. And that particular place is a contrast between what what the idolaters did and what we do. The Lord is in his holy temple talking about the temple of heaven. But then it can be used with reference to the church. It's not a physical temple. It's not the church building that's important. It is the fact that we are the temple of God. We are a spiritual temple and not a physical temple. So we are priests then that serve in the temple of God. But then we're also laborers in the in the kingdom of God. So we're laborers individually and we are the vineyard of God. And this is taken from Matthew the 20th chapter and actually goes on well beyond this. I forget where the parable ended, but it goes way beyond this. In Matthew 20 verses one and two, he says the kingdom of heaven, talking about the church, is likened to a man that is a householder which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. So you could imagine in that particular time period, time frame, oftentimes people would gather in the town, what we would call the town square, the middle of town, and the person would go out and hire common laborers to go out and work for them. And that's what this is about. He went to the town square and found these people to hire them. And he agreed to with the laborers for a penny a day, and he sent them into his vineyard. Now that was early in the morning, notice, and they had labored there. Then he went back, and penny actually is a denarii in the original language, and the denarii was was the day's pay for a common laborer. So what what we are talking about would be, you know, I don't know what an average laborer's day's pay is. At, at this particular time, I did see on a, an, an advertisement where it said that you could hire on for this restaurant for 10 to $12 a day or an hour rather, 10 to $12 an hour. Well, in our day and time, we work eight hours, but I want you to notice in this particular case, how many hours they work. work. Well, he went back the third hour. Then he went back and hired more. And he went back the sixth hour and hired more. And the ninth hour and hired more. And then the eleventh hour, hired more. And then, after they had worked for only an hour. So, in other words, their workday was 12 hours. Hmm. A lot different than what we have today, isn't it? You know what I mean? I've worked 12 hours before, and you probably have too, for labor but the fact is that's not the common way of doing things, but they worked for 12 hours and then he paid them all the same. And those that came to work for him in the early morning, they complained about it. And he says, why do you complain? I mean, basically the householder was being benevolent and he was rewarding all in the same way. And the point is, And really the purpose of the uh, the parable is that those that become members of the church at an early age, or those that become a member of the church at old age, doesn't make any difference. The reward is the same. Well, another one is chosen in Israel. Now, the reason why I chose this particular thing is because of the number of times the word chosen is used within scripture with reference to God's children. We are a chosen generation and we've saw that already. But Israel was that chosen nation. Were they were they the only ones that were chosen? Well, no, they weren't the only ones. God rewarded Abraham's other child with with becoming a great nation as well. Esau and Moab and Ammon were all chosen nations in some sense, and they were given land inheritance from God. But Israel was a chosen nation in a special sense. Now, were they a chosen nation because of salvation? Well, no, that's not the reason they were chosen. They were chosen nation because they were the ones through whom Christ would, or that God would bring his Christ uh, through that nation not because of land inheritance not because of salvation or any other reason they were chosen because christ would come from the nation of israel and more specifically from the tribe of judah so we are called chosen individually now i went back to first peter chapter 2 and verse 9. remember when we talked about this with reference to the priesthood that was chapter two verse five of first peter this is chapter two verse nine and i noted that priests served two basic purposes they offered up sacrifices that's verse five but then they also teach now let's read verse nine but ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood and holy nation a peculiar people that ye should show now listen that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are to evangelize, we are to teach, we are to gospelize the nations around about us. That's why we are that chosen generation. We are the people that God's chosen. We're the kind of people that God's chosen in order to carry out His word throughout all the world but we are also the israel of god listen to galatians chapter 6 and verse number 16 and as many as walk according to this rule peace be on him and mercy and upon the israel of god now we know that he's talking about the church in that particular passage like he did in the book of romans in fact he says not all israel was a part of israel in other words Physical Israel, not everybody that was a part of national Israel is a part of spiritual Israel. But we, the church, are spiritual Israel, and we are the Israel of God. Well, from all of that, we see that names and descriptions are important. And in fact, we cannot really underestimate how important they are. You know, don't you find it interesting, you're in a place and... Busy, a lot of noise, and then when someone says your name, who who called me? You might not have heard anything else because of all the noise. And I can remember in different places that I've worked in the past, and all the machines going on, and all those kind of things, and you hear these announcements, and you don't pay attention, you don't hear them really, you just know that they're there, and then when they announce your name, don't you perk up, don't you hear it? I think about before we moved over to Ukraine, we were out shopping on, on, on one of those days before Christmas, one of those late nights things. And the, we were in Walmart and I mean, it was completely packed and shoulder to shoulder, literally you couldn't hardly move around. And I had decided I wanted a digital camera and I put my name on the list and they said, well, you'll never get it, it's already too far along. Well, then they they mispronounced my name, but I found it interesting I understood it nonetheless. And in that crowded shopping area, and you could imagine the noise going on, and yet I recognized that name, my name, and then was able to get that digital camera, the last one. Well, there you go. That's the way names are. And they're important to us, you know. And there, even to the degree of spelling, I mean, I remember one fella in Ukraine, he was talking about Jody, and he said, well, maybe this is a better way of transliterating it. He was trying to figure out her name, and he wrote down in Russian characters, Judy. And I said, no, Judy's not her name, it's Jody. Well, you know, And then you have Ross and Russ. I mean, try calling Ross, Russ, and Russ, Ross. It doesn't work very good, Doyle. Or, you know, change the E of Doyle from silent to long E. Doyley. You appreciate that, Doyley? You know, names are important to us. We want our names to be spelled right. And we want our names to be understood right. And they represent who we are. We know that names are important. And so certain names then, individually and collectively, go together. We must recognize that. They identify and they also describe. God's provided us a name. But you know, I think back over the years of different ones that have said to me, Your name represents you. And people are going to know your name by the way you live. Do we live up to our name? And I'm not talking about Northrop or Doyle or whatever that name might be that you have. I'm talking about the names that we've talked about in this lesson. Do we live up to the name that God's provided for us or the names That God has provided for us this morning we do want to offer the invitation there may be someone here that would like to respond to the invitation and if you would like to respond this is your opportunity whether to become a member of the Lord's church or to repent of sin or to ask for prayers whatever your need is won't you come as together we stand and sing to encourage you